sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on an entrepreneur. His name is Brian Orr. He is also formerly known as DJ Twist. So welcome to the show, Brian. How are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great, Zuby. What's going on, pal? All is good, man. All is good. Thank you for uh, stepping up to the challenge. Just for those who are listening, this podcast was planned at very, very short notice. And so Brian has jumped right in. So this is going to be a dope episode. So for people who are not familiar with who you are and what you do, tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure. So um, as you mentioned, formerly DJ Twist, uh, I gained most of my business experience as a professional DJ. Um, I toured you know, around the country. I'm from uh, New York originally. Got a lot of exposure overseas, um, a lot of exposure to the world and a, and a well different perspective of the world. Than, than just, you know, growing up in one town, even if it was a big town like New York. Um, so from there, you know, I've, I've gotten a little bit up in age, as you can see in the in the beard here. Uh, it's, it's reflecting quite visibly. And, uh, you know, with that, I've, I've, I've kind of been on this mission for, for most of my life about, uh, you know, empowering the next generation and or e- even as even as quickly as people two or three years behind me. So, you know, I've been a youth football coach for 20 some odd years. And, you know, it's always kind of been my thing. That's kind of been a, a thread throughout my life. So what I'm doing right now, um, I've sort of evolved into uh, uh, I've, I've been buying real estate. I've been investing in real estate. I've been starting small businesses. I've invested in small businesses. But what I'm doing right now is actually helping other entrepreneurs and small business owners uh, through strategy consulting and, and helping them solve problems on their entrepreneurial journeys. Awesome, man. Well, it sounds like a very interesting life story there. So you started out in music and now you're doing consulting, real estate, helping other entrepreneurs. Talk me a little bit through that journey. Firstly, let's start out with you getting into DJing and that whole career. How did you get into that? So when I was a kid, I my older sister um was very active in music she was in in a dance studio and always wanted to go um to nightclubs and bars and you know this was in the i guess 80s and 90s in in new york and at 14 and 15 you could be in a bar or a nightclub it was very different back then um and and you know her and her friends would always just be dancing around the house and they kind of got me tuned into um the radio djs and i was listening to radio djs mix shows on on Hot 97 and 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 Kiss FM, um, I'm trying to remember who the early earliest guys, but guys like Red Alert, and I started hearing uh, DJs manipulating the music and and making the adjustments to the music, the turntablism, and I, I never really knew that that existed. So from that point, I just started like I just fell in love with it, and I just started diving all over my family's record collection, putting them on my mom's you know, uh, old, old system with the, with the record player on top and I'm trying to scratch it. And, um, you know, from there, it just, it, the passion just ate me up and I found a couple of mentors. They taught me, you know, the right way to learn. They taught me, you know, how to be on stage, how to, how to show up for work, how to do business besides just music. And, um, and I just 
you know, I, I rolled, I rolled with it from there. That's awesome, man. So as a DJ, what type of DJ were you? Were you mainly uh, clubs, radio, records, production? Tell me more. Yeah. So I grew up basically as a hip hop DJ um, with a love for all music. So I, I, when I mentioned I went through my family's record collection, it was, you know, the Beatles and Joan Jett and ACDC, um, as well as like, uh, my goodness, like soul records and funk records and all sorts of stuff. So I, I grew up playing, you know, uh, 33, playing singles and LPs on vinyl. And it was pretty hyper-focused. Like I, I was specifically a hip hop DJ, but then as time evolved and community evolved and people started becoming more, I guess, open to the idea of versatility within a music set, I was able to expand to be what's like considered an open format DJ and really play all genres of music. So that's where I, I guess, kind of made, uh, I had most of my success in the ability to play multiple genres of music. That's awesome, man. What was your, uh, did you have any career highlights, any particular, particularly memorable moments or gigs from that? Yeah, I've, I've had some cool stuff. I've played in uh, some uh, somewhere around 13 countries, uh, 100 cities or so. I've been on TV a few different times. Um, the, I was on a couple morning shows in, in New York. I was on a, uh, you know, a live show uh, that, that was national. So that that stuff was kind of cool. But, um, you know, I played some big venues, some some festivals. I'm not like the I'm not like the David Guetta festival DJ guy. Um, but, you know, I've been on stage there, met a lot of celebrities. You know, I've done that whole thing, which is pretty fantastic. But honestly, for me, my highlight uh, when, you know, looking back at it, when all said and done is the ability to, you know, open my mind to uh, culture and people from. Uh, even just outside, even just different cities within the States, but then to be able to go overseas and, you know, I lived in Central America for six weeks on a tour and, and, you know, went through Nicaragua and Costa Rica and Panama and like just being able to experience that. I think that that is the career highlight that I could have ever imagined. Yeah, that's super dope, man. I, I love travel. I'm a massive advocate for travel. I think everybody who can, who has the capability in any way, should at some point in their lives absolutely get out of your city, but also <laughs> get out of your country and just see just see more of the world. It's impossible to do that and to not learn from it and to great, gain more perspective. And I think with perspective comes gratitude, both for your home country and also for other places as well. It just it just builds understanding. So tell me a little bit about the the transition that you've made now. So you went are you you still do some DJing? Is that right? Yeah, I do. I mean, I still DJ local around St. Pete, um, you know, but uh, married now, kids. I have two. I have one on the way. Um, we're, should be, uh, we're expecting that package to arrive in about six to eight weeks. And um, yeah, so, so really what it comes down to now is I'm focused heavy on business, doing my own business and helping people um, conduct their business. And I am still DJing because, but, but my only rule is I don't travel anymore. So I stay local. Um, I'm in St. Pete, sometimes in Tampa. And, you know, I put the kids to bed. I go out, I play some tunes, I have some fun and I'm home for breakfast. Well, way before breakfast or my wife would kill me, but I'm home and I'm awake when the kids, 
when the kids are awake and we have breakfast together. So, you know, it, it, I am still playing because I still love it. I, I just can't stop. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I, I have, I've, I've constrained it a little bit. I hear that. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about the entrepreneurial journey as well. So you got into, what was the first thing, getting into real estate or did something come, did something come prior to that? Yeah, b- before real estate, you know, I always kind of had the idea of, I guess this financial freedom idea that that is pretty predominant now, but it was always like, I don't want to be working for someone forever. You know, I started DJing at, at 13, you know, I started training um, at like 13 or 14. I think my first official gig was at like 15 or so. So, you know, even with that, I, it was sort of an entrepreneurial journey right off the bat. And as I was um, making money and having success and meeting people all over the place, you know, my mind was broadened beyond just the, um, the nine to five type of work, which I did do. I did do that for, for years. Um, And I, I always just had that, like, I was like, I need to be doing something bigger. There's a cap if I'm working for a salary, right? Like I need to have the opportunity to, charge what I want to charge or, you know, scale the way I want to scale. And honestly, like that question, I don't even know what my first business investment was aside from myself, you know, as, and, and my brand as a DJ, I started a management company in 2010. I brought on like eight other DJs, a couple of models. Uh, we were doing some stuff down in, in, uh, in uh, Soho in, in the city in Manhattan. So I had a little management group that I started there. And then, you know, I was investing in, in some other friends' businesses. I w- I've invested in hospitality. I set up a, a, um, a speed school, a speed and agility camp for kids that we were training uh, high school athletes that were prepping to go to college. And we were training speed and agility, you know, benefited. I've had, I wrote a tweet the other day. I, sorry, I, I do ramble. I'm sorry about that. You probably got more than you bargained for. No, no, it's all good, man. It's all good. But, um, it's it's, it's no. interesting. I, I like, I mean, I'm someone who does a lot of things and has a lot of interests. So it's good to talk to someone who's the same, you know, who's not just in, in one lane, but has this broad spectrum from music to business and entrepreneurship to family and raising up the next generation to athletics and so on. I think it's fascinating. I'm just listening. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, um, we were trip, you know, I had the, the, the speed school, I partnered to, to set that up so we can train kids uh, that were getting ready for college. I've invested in, in uh, restaurants, you know, a lot. And then, and then real estate, real estate was really the thing that was like the wow. Right. And so in, in 2000, I forget what years it was, I was at a college and I started, and I was working, um, basically at wall street, right on wall street. I was doing, I was working for a wealth management team. I was licensed as a securities broker and I was doing all that stuff. Like I'm still DJing, but you know, yeah, I was living the real life underneath that, right. Underneath the uh, starving artist life. So I didn't like starving. I like, so I was like, I was like, I can't just be the artist, right? Like I gotta, I, I have to do something. So I always had this like hustle, you know, uh, sort of vibe. And really with that. So I was working, I grew up in Brooklyn, as I mentioned, I was working with, you know, very wealthy people. And I really had no idea that a person, a real person in my world, like a real person could ever actually own real estate. It wasn't even, it wasn't even in my spectrum. 
like people that I worked for at, you know, my clients, they own real estate. Right. And like growing up, like watching movies or whatever, there was always like that, um, that metaphorical kind of, you know, that landlord, that slumlord. Like I knew that we didn't own our place, right? My family didn't own. So I, I never really knew that that existed. And honestly, I was living in Vegas and I started dating my now wife who was in North Carolina. And my mother was also in North Carolina. And, and I was sitting with my mom watching HGTV in like 2014. And they popped, you know, the, the flip house shows or whatever. And these came on and they were like, yeah, we purchased this house for, you know, $100,000. And at this point, like I had already been dealing with big money, but it just never, it never clicked into literally like that moment. And I was like, wait a second, like we can buy houses. Now, mind you, I've been, I've already been traveling the world. Like I've done so much, but for whatever reason, I had this suppression in my brain, like this limiting belief that it just was not a thing that I could ever do. And when I discovered that you could do that and any one of us can do that, I was like, oh my God, I got to tell everybody about this. And, and that's basically what I started doing. So I started doing real estate and talking about real estate and, you know, that, that was going really well until COVID and, you know, a bunch of stuff happened in there. Um, and, and the most recent iteration is that of, of my own personal journey is that, I, I, I developed, uh, I guess, a skill set for dissecting problems and for teaching people how to fix those problems. So I almost was anointed by some people who I was helping for, you know, for free. I didn't think that I was doing anything besides just being myself. They were like, you really need to start charging people for this. And my Oh, all right. Maybe I'll start charging people for this, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I get the, as, as personal evolution goes, um, here I am as a, as a, as a business consultant. That's awesome, man. I'm curious to know more about their real estate journey, actually, because that is one, that's one area that I've, I've not spoken about much at all on this co- podcast. I do want to get some more real estate people on over the course of time. I myself have never bought any real estate. It's something that's very much on my on my radar as a sort of future move, but I haven't jumped into it yet. And I know it's it's very uh, the, it can be very different in different countries in terms of some of the ins and outs. But after watching that TV show that gave you the inspiration and that eureka moment that hey, this is something I can do. What was your what was your next move? What was the what was the first property you bought? Was it residential? Um, how have you done it? Yeah. So the very first thing I did, as I mentioned, I was in North Carolina at the time on my mother's couch. And I said, uh, Ma, you can buy houses. Like I was in my 30s at the time, like to give some perspective on this. Right. Like I was, I was like, Ma, like I felt like a little kid. Ma, you can buy houses like we can buy houses. And she's like, yeah, we can buy. Houses. I'm like, where are they getting these? Because the show was in Texas, like middle of Texas somewhere. And um, I'm like where can we find a house that's, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. And she's like, you're literally in one and everyone around here, <laughs> like all of them. And I'm like, are you serious? So the, the way that the, the exact way the first deal went down, I said, uh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to find a house and I'm going to buy a rental property and flip it. And 
my mom was working at a bank at the time, a very big bank that was there uh, in North Carolina. And they had some type of non-compete type of restriction where based on her position, she couldn't purchase anything that was owned by the, the bank. Now, in 2014, uh, if, if you do have any real estate people, especially an American real estate people listening, uh, they're familiar with what the market was like from 2008 and beyond after the crash. The banks owned everything or some portion of everything. So she personally couldn't, and especially in that region, that bank is so predominant in that region, she never actually purchased investment real estate because she was so restricted. So that was my second light bulb moment, honestly. And I was like, so you want to buy real estate, you know that it's a thing, but you can't do it. And you can't do it, let's just say, because of your job, right? You have some restriction, you have some limitation. And I was like, hmm, do you think that there's more people that want to invest in real estate, but can't because they have other limitations? And my mind started going and I was like, okay, what kind of limitations do people, chat GBT didn't exist at this time. Okay. So I couldn't ask it, uh, these questions. So I'm like, what kind of, what, uh, who else might be having these obstacles that they want to invest, but they can't invest. So I'm like, ma, of course, right. Lean right back to my mom. Ma, who else do you know? Like, that's my first thing. Ma, who else do you know that has this as a limitation like this? She said, well, your aunt, her sister, who's still in New York, it was a, a police officer in New York. She said she's been stacking a bunch of money. Uh, she's been saving forever, but she can't invest because there's nothing that she can buy in New York. And she doesn't have the time because she works these crazy hours. And I'm like, interesting. So we have like, we have, we have job restrictions. We have geographical restrictions. Um, now it was, it's easy because I always thought that there was a financial restriction. So there's all of these I'm seeing as obstacles, but my real brain is seeing them as opportunities. And I said, well, how about this? What if you, you give me some money and Donna gives me some money and I put in some money and then I have time and freedom and flexibility and I'll just go buy the house and I'll run it and you know, I'll pay you guys, whatever we'll do. We'll do our partnership. We'll split it in thirds. And that was it. So from that, that was the, the, the second big Eureka um, all in the span of about an hour. And I was like, let's find a real estate agent and let's go shop for properties. And that's basically what we did. And I bought a single family house, our first little flip. And I don't know how into the weeds of real estate you want to get, but, um, in general, we, you know, we flipped the house. We ended up renting it for a little while because we couldn't sell it. I didn't know any of these like sophisticated, um, uh, real estate strategies existed at the time. When in fact, it was actually implementing a few of them, un, you know, unbeknownst to me. Hmm. And, um, you know, when when we started making profit on that first house as a rental, I was like, oh, man, I said, this is this is awesome. And, you know, and then we went from there. That's awesome, man. Um, and tell me tell me about going from there. So you so you get the first family home, you start out by renting it and then you eventually sell that for a profit. And then what's the next move? I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about this because I think it will help both myself, but also thousands of people who are going to listen to this podcast. I think real estate investing is something that so many people are 
aware of and interested in, but I think the whole process, I think, I think the reason a lot of people don't pull the trigger beyond just financial reasons is I think that it's one of those things that just seems really daunting and scary. I think a lot of investments are like that, whether it's real estate or it's Bitcoin or it's gold or it's stocks. It's like, okay, I know that people buy stocks and funds and whatever, but it seems, it seems complicated to get into. And I think when things are complicated, people tend to just sit on their hands and do nothing. And I think that just with the way the world is going and the economy is going and inflation is going, um, a lot of people are going to be looking for where where, where where are the opportunities, right? Even just to maintain their own money, what are things that people can do? So I think uh, these are these are valuable lessons because we can learn from your experiences. Sure. So uh, with regards to where things are going, we can have a whole other podcast about that and why I'm like specifically in commercial real estate right now and why I'm not purchasing at the moment. Um, and I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines for a specific purpose. But if we're talking about beginners, Let's let's not worry about commercial real estate for right sure. now. So, um, yeah. So with the with the first property now, uh, let's be honest. I was in court twice um, with the first property. So before I closed on my first property, or I should say, before I I finished renovation on my first property, I was in court twice. Once for a, a property that we were under contract with that the um, the seller had lied on their disclosures and there was a big water issue and I'm, I won't get again into too far into the details, but, but for perspective um, it is very difficult and it is very daunting, but it is nowhere near impossible and it's completely attainable and accessible. So let's kind of pref, you know, let's lead with that. Right. But there are challenges and there will be challenges. So let's get back into the fun stuff. So, we flipped the first property. We tried to sell it. We couldn't sell it for the price that we wanted to, the price that we needed to make the money. And I said, okay, what else can we do with this property? Let's rent it. Well, we can rent it, but we have a whole bunch of cash in it. And because we paid cash for it and we paid cash for the reno and we decided to rent it. So I'm like, well, what are we supposed to do with all our cash? And I started speaking to real estate agents and they put me in touch with banks and they were like, well, you can just refinance the property. And I'm like, what, what, what is it? Refinance the property? Like, t- t- talk to me. What are we, t- what yeah, are we yeah. talking about here? And basically what that means is it's like getting a mortgage before you buy, except you're getting a mortgage after you own the property. So I already own the property outright. And now I go to the bank and say, I want to start my mortgage. Now I'm going to refinance this house. And I'm going to reposition the way that my um, my financial position is is structured within this property, within this asset. So the bank says, OK, we're going to send an appraiser out. We're going to determine what it's worth. And then we're going to write you the mortgage. Now, they're going to people I hope are, are familiar with with the idea of mortgages and lending and that type of thing. Um, but just to break it down a little bit more. They basically say you have to provide a certain amount of a down payment and we'll lend you the rest and we'll charge you interest over a period of time that you have to pay us back until you can then, again, retain or regain title or regain true ownership. So for simple math, let's say we were in $100,000 on that house. They told us that the house was worth $130,000. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, can we curse on here? 
Um, avoid it. Sorry, sorry. I was <laughs> it's trying okay. to it slipped what, out. What, what, one is not one is not gonna uh, you know be a game changer. <laughs> All right, beat that one, and I'll keep yeah. it. I'll keep it PG <laughs> after that. So I was like, wow, you're telling like we put it in, and now it's worth more. And so, what do we have to do for this loan? And he's like, well, you need to leave in twenty five percent or whatever it was because it was um, a commercial, essentially a. a um, a business loan because we had a business entity. We didn't do it as an individual. It wasn't our primary house. So it was essentially a business loan. So we had to leave it in 20, 25%. And it was also our first loan. So whatever the rates were, it was a little bit high, whatever. I looked at it and said, wait a second. So you, you get, there's imaginary money in here right now, like equity, right? There's this imaginary money. I put in a hundred thousand, but you're telling me it's worth 130,000. And then you're telling me I need to leave in 25% of that. So I'm going to leave in the 30,000 that you just made up out of thin air, right? This is, it's, it's a little bit more sophisticated than that, but this is what I'm thinking at the time. So you made that up out of thin air, but now I'm just going to leave that money that doesn't exist in your bank with you. And you're going to give me back the hundred thousand dollars, the 75% of the, of the value of the house. And I still get to keep the house. And I can still keep renters in it and I can still make rent payments from it or, or receive rent payments from it. And now I have my hundred thousand dollars back and they're like, yeah, well, yeah, that's how it works. And I'm like, Oh man, this is fantastic. <laughs> and then I just started shopping for more houses and I got into a bunch of different houses in a, in a variety of different ways. Um, learned a bunch of stuff along the way, made a bunch of mistakes along the way, discovered uh, commercial properties, discovered multifamily properties. And, you know, for, I won't look back. I won't do single families anymore, but that's just me personally. Some people are doing phenomenal with single family houses. I personally just like the commercial space now better. So that's where I'm, I'm living in. That's awesome, man. That sounds like, that sounds like quite a journey. So all that started just in, in 2014. I say just, I mean, that's, that's nine years now. It doesn't, (laughs) 2014 doesn't sound like nine years to me, right? But, um, it, it is. Uh, so the work that you do now with helping other entrepreneurs and with their strategies, what what specifically is that about, or is it something that's more general? It, it's fairly general. Um, it, it's it's a baby. It's in it's in its infancy in terms of what it's actually what it actually is as a business model. So I'm still learning a little bit about the the process and what's actually happening, uh, meaning like, how am I really going to monetize this? How am I going to grow this and scale this uh, as a one person business, as an individual, as a key person who is the one who's doing the consulting? Like, am I going to be able to productize this? Am I going to be able to, you know, do I even want to consider hiring other consultants and actually building a firm? So and from that perspective, it's it's very much in its infancy. Um, with regards to the the process and what I do with people, uh, example, a gym owner here had a lot of trouble through COVID, uh, you know, as you'd imagine. They and were in Florida, so there was still it wasn't as much trouble as people in a lot of other places, but still trouble. So he asked me to sit down with him for a little while. So we sat down over lunch. We talked about his financial situation. We talked about his legion situation, his marketing strategies, his operations, his staffing, um, 
all, all of this stuff, all, all business operations. And I gave him a couple of ideas. What, what, what ended up landing on was that he had a number two in place and he was trying to groom her to be the number one. He was looking to exit or to do something different or to just move on. He just wanted to be the owner. He didn't want to be in the business anymore. And he's been, he's had so much frustration. It's like, I just, you know, it's not, I can't get her to do this. I can't get her to do this. And, and when we sat down and really ironed it out, I was like, we, I was like, she, she is a number two. She's not a number one. Let her be a number two. Just, just try it. Just let her be a number two. Let her do things that she's that good at that you keep telling me she's that good at um, and stop trying to force, you know, the square peg through the round hole. Maybe if you want to exit, you need to find a new number one. She might be who you'd like to be, but that's not going to be good for your business. Well, 90 days later, roundabout, he called me up and said, you know, I've been in business for 12 years. I have been through two business coaches. I'm not a coach in, in the business sense. I don't do a, a accountability. I don't do homework. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. I'm very quick and cut. Like, what's the problem? Let's get to it. Let's solve it. And, you know, let me move on to the, to the next one. Call me back if you need help. So he called me back like three months later. And he said, I've been through, through two business coaches since COVID, I paid boatloads of money for all of this advice and all of these strategies and all of this nonsense. And what you did in that hour, I just need to tell you, I've had my most profitable three months in the last 12 years. Wow. That's and amazing. I was like, wow, that's incredible. Like, I'm so happy that I was able to help you or, or shine some light in that in that area for you. And he's like, you, it, I just never thought of that. Nobody ever told me that. Like, no, none of the coach, no, no, nothing. Um, and, you know, that, that was the first one that kind of put me on this path of like, I'm really helping people. Like I really have the ability to help people in their business. And that was, that was one case. Another one, I was uh, developing a brand strategy and, and marketing message for a, another real estate investor who's looking to get more investors I helped write her pitch deck, her uh, just define her marketing message. I worked with another gym to to write their slogan. Uh, their slogan was uh, it was awful. It was it was awful, and they haven't fully <laughs> migrated to the new one yet. And I don't want to call it out. And I would otherwise, I would love to like plug it, but I can't because because uh, I don't want people to know how I actually felt about their original content. Right? <laughs> but but we sat down and I was like. I was like, so how are you getting, you know, how are you getting clients and tell me, you know, and she, she told me her issues and then she handed me this thing. And I was like, what is this? What does this say right here? Like, is this really what you, you're telling people? And, <laughs> I'm, I'm so curious now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe I'll tell you, maybe I'll tell you off, offline. Um, but, you know, I, re, I helped her rebrand that, that kind of that messaging and, and she's been doing you know, great since then, like those tiny little tweaks. And, and that's where I really found my skill set to be. It's, it's in this transformation. It's in this conversion, this evolution. It's what I've always had that thread that I mentioned earlier, why I coach youth sports. You know, I coach youth sports way before I had my kids, mm. it, you know, why I, I felt the need to teach people about real estate when I discovered about real estate, you know, why I, uh, you know, I, I sat 
for almost two years before my mentor would let me put a record on in public. Like I had to just like, he wouldn't let me. He's like, you're not ready. You're not ready. I'm like, you never even let me practice. He's like, you just sit and watch. I'm like, Oh, you know, like, so, (laughs) you know, and, and of all of that, all of those life experiences and all of the traveling and all the people I met all over the world and all my failures. Cause man, I'm talking about good stuff, but dude, there were some failures and all of that stuff, this aggregate of all of that, this, this idea that I'm able to look at something, find a problem with it, or at least, or at least the biggest pain point, right? Like it might not necessarily be like, man, I have problems, but it's like, Hey, look, if you're on, if you're on an assembly line, one, one of the things in the assembly line is your slowest process. If we can fix that process and, and move that up the ladder, um, in terms of efficiency, how much better would your product be? And once you do that, something else is going to be your slowest product, right? So let's fix that. And then let's keep scaling this up in terms of efficiency and try to maximize your output and your, and your profits. So when I see things like that, um, it just, it comes very natural to me. And I just, I've been doing this for so many people for so long that finally that, that, you know, it was almost like an intervention, like people came from all angles and they're like, you need to start a business where like you need to charge people for this. And then here we are. That's awesome, man. So you really, it's been learning stuff for yourself and then sharing what you're learning. And in my own experience and just what I observe with other people, I think that's one of the most powerful things that anyone can do in life. I think that the vast, I think everybody, I think everybody underestimates how much stuff they know and how much stuff that they know and have experienced can help other people. Um, I know that for myself, some of these things didn't click until a few years ago, right? You know, I've had my my music career and, you know, I've been going to the gym for 20 plus years since my mid-teens and I've done this and I've learned this thing and that thing. And I used to almost, not consciously, but like just do what I think most people do, which is keep it to yourself, right? You attain this information, you go on these journeys, you learn these things and it just becomes normal to you. Things that used to be difficult become easy to you, but you forget that there are millions of people out there, if not billions, who are struggling with some of the things that you're just doing day to day on on autopilot. So for example, when I wrote my first book, Strong Advice, Zuby's Guide to Fitness for Everybody, which um, I put out in 2019, I mean, you know, I've been going to the gym for a long time, I've been through so many diet cycles, I've made all the, you know, made stupid mistakes, done stuff right, done stuff wrong, tried different training programs, wasted money on pointless supplements, you know, done this. And over the course of time, right, I, you learn what works for me, and I learn what works for others. And I, I'm helping people sort of informally here and there. And something just clicked in my brain. Where I was like, you know, what? like, how many people in the world are trying to get in better shape? How many people are trying to lose weight, get stronger, build muscle? Like everybody, right? Like billions. I'm raising my hand right now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's billions of people. And I was just like, I already know, like I know how to do this and I've been through this myself. Why don't I just write the book that I wish someone gave me when I was 15 years old and I was first going to the gym and, you know, trying to learn all this stuff. Just, it can be very simple. And it's, that book has helped so many people now. I mean, it sold well over 10,000 copies completely independently. It's not even on Amazon and it's helped so many people. And I'm just like, wow, that's something that I could have written that book 10 years ago, right? Like it was, it was in my head. I already knew it there. And I just think that so everybody, um, 
everybody out there, people are like, oh, I have nothing to, there's nothing I can teach or there's no product I can create or there's no service that I can sell or whatever. And I'm like, man, like, look at what you've already done and all this knowledge you've accumulated. You, you might not think it's anything, you might not think it's anything special. Just being able to speak English. If you can speak English, you can teach English, right? Like just, you, 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 right? You don't, you don't even think about it. It's like there's a billion, there's like a billion people in the world right now trying to learn how to speak read and write English. If you're a decent, if you're, if you're an English native or fluent speaker and you can teach that, you could literally set up a business where you just do like online coaching calls like this and you just talk to people and help them with your English. It could be for any language that's out there, right? Spanish, French, Arabic, whatever. And these are things we don't even, we don't even think about, right? If you know real estate, if you know how to invest, if you're good with relationships. If you've been married for a long time and you have children and you've got some things that have learned, like I, I, I love, I'm not married with kids yet, but I'm always learning from other people. When I talk to people who are parents and who have children, again, these day-to-day mundane tasks that they're not even thinking about, I'm like, oh, tell, tell me about that. Like, how, What's the best way to do this? What's the best way to do that? How about this? How about that? And I don't know. I just think there's so much of this untapped potential um, across all this knowledge. And I, I do think that this is one great thing about social media is more people are kind of just going out there and just sharing their thoughts and ideas and experiences and sharing their journey and everyone can learn from it. And something else I've learned is you can even inspire, um, and help people who are further along than you in many aspects, Right. So there can be someone who's like just started going to the gym six months ago and, you know, they weigh they weigh 400 pounds and they're trying to get down to, you know, 250 or they're trying to get down to 200 or whatever. And I'm following them and I'm being inspired like I'm, I'm way ahead of them. Right. But I'm actually inspired by what they're doing. Right. I'm seeing them showing up every day and it's a reminder to myself. OK. Right. You got to you got to keep going. Cool. Like, you know, you, you got to keep doing this. It's inspiring. It's motivating. And um yeah, I don't know. I just think I, I wish everyone would kind of open up a little bit more in some ways and kind of just share, share their journeys, share their experiences, share that knowledge. And we can all just learn from each other in ways that we often don't even think about. Man, absolutely. <clears throat> Sorry. There's so much to even unpack in what you just said right there. I almost feel like I'm flipping now to the interviewer because I want to ask you so many <laughs> questions. Go ahead. Um, let me tie in one story to that real quick, though, with regards to inspiration, because when I I semi-retired, I retired from DJing three different times and for a variety of reasons, different. One, one, one time I retired, it was right after my son was 10 months old. I, I took him and my wife on tour with me. We spent a week in Central America, three weeks in Europe. And I said, I am never doing this again. And I'm done. I'm just done DJing. Like I was like, I didn't like being away from him because I was away from him so long during his first year because I was booked, you know, the schedule, right? So I'm booked out. He was born and I was traveling for weeks at a clip. He was 10 months old. I said, I said, I'm, I'm going to take him with me. Once I did that, I said, I can't be away from him and I definitely can't have him with me. So I'm done. Fast forward a little bit. We had moved to North Carolina, back to North Carolina at this time. This is 2017 or something like that. And I was like hanging it up. And there was a guy who I kind of knew through social media ish, Facebook ish. And he was in Charlotte and he said, Hey man, would you mind? Like, can we grab lunch? And I was like, sure. So we went and grabbed lunch and, you know, I kind of knew him a little bit, but not, not a ton. And I knew he was a DJ. 
And he said, listen, you know, through our conversation, he said, listen, I just want to tell you something. He's like, I'm, I've done nothing compared to what you've done. But, you know, when I was first coming up and this is when I was in college, he grew up in the city where I went to college and he goes, I always knew your name. And I always knew that you were like opening the new venues and always doing the dope spots. And, you know, one of the biggest compliments I ever got in my life is when I started DJing and one of the club owners said, you remind me a lot of DJ twist. He said, I just wanted to tell you that. And like, you know, you've been an inspiration for me for so long. And I was like, my goodness. Like, first of all, for him to say that, like the courage that that takes. And then second, that I never looked at myself as the inspiration for other people. You always have your heroes, right? But I never looked at it that way. What you're, and, and, and to your point about being inspired, after he said that, I was like, I can't stay home anymore. I have to go keep doing this just so that there'll be another one of him somewhere that I can help just by being there, just by showing up, just by doing what I'm doing. And I got like super, super inspired by that conversation. And of course I came out of retirement again. And, you know, then I went, I've been, you know, rocking and rolling again for a whole bunch of years just because of that. So you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm going to jump in with my question before you before you change the subject. What do you think? Do you think that that the opportunity through social media and and you're trying to motivate people to kind of share their stories and share their um, experiences? Do you see that as a potential business, solo business, one person business future, like a monetization opportunity for people like going forward? Do you think that they can actually build like not just share their story, but actually monetize it? Uh, I mean, yeah, I've been doing it for many years. I've been doing it for a long time. That's, that's what I do. That's how people, yeah, that's, that's how people great. know me um, <laughs> through, through social media, through my podcasting, public speaking, my music, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do it every day, many, many, many times a day. That's if you actually look at my platform and think about it, it's like, that's, that's what I do. And yeah. I, I want to show people that you, you, you can, any, everyone can, everyone can do it to some degree, right? Like I, I'm, I don't know, am I special? I mean, I'm, I'm special in some ways, but you can be a quote unquote, just, you know, normal guy who builds a following of a hundred thousand people plus on social media who are really interested in what you're doing and following your journey and who find you motivating and inspiring. Like you could just be. You know, as you said, you know, you're you could literally just be, you know, you're you're a, 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 mar a married father of three, right? And you can just work a nine to five, and there are millions of people. If you share your story, you share your journey, your your parenting, how you're managing your your marriage, your relationships, whatever your job is, all that stuff that you yourself might think is pretty mundane. You might just think, oh, what well, I'm just like I'm just the average father of three. And it's like there are, again, there are hundreds of millions, if not billions of people out there who potentially are interested in just, especially, you know, especially if you've got some type of interesting or captivating personality or some type of background. And I do think that most people, I do think that virtually everybody does have an interesting story. Not everyone might be good at expressing their story or explaining how and why it's interesting, right? Not everyone lives some 
life where there's like an obvious crazy story there or, you know, something extreme happened in their background or this or this. Uh, some people kind of have that. Other people, it's like, okay, it's more sort of quote unquote normal, but there's always stuff that's interesting, right? There's always something that's interesting in someone's story. We all have our, if you've lived for 20 plus years, there are certainly things that you've, you've been through and the ups and the downs and the wins and the losses and the things you've struggled with and the things you've learned and all that. And I just think there's so much power in sharing that. And I know, I mean, I know many people and I, I follow many people who are quote unquote, just normal people who are just sharing their, sharing their journey on social media, uh, you know, their career, their physical fitness, their, uh, mental wellbeing, their relationships, their journey through life. They're just sort of doing and sharing. And there's a lot of value in it. I, I find, um, I find some of that, that that's some of my favorite content that exists on the internet because there's so much negativity. Of course, you know, you got the hot takes and the arguing and the fighting and the politics and the culture, like, you know, there, there's all that and it can be interesting to a degree, but I'm not trying to have my timeline flooded hundred percent on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook and whatever with just like fiery, you know, fiery takes and politics and news and all that stuff. I'm like, Hey, I'm man, I want to see. I want to see some family photos. I want to see some, yeah, right. some people going, going for a... Bring back the photos of the kids. Yeah. <laughs> going... What happened to all the food pictures? Like, I'll take that. I'll take it. You know, bring back everyone snapping their lunch. Yeah. I'm good with that. Travel photos. You know, that's why I also share with, you know, anyone who follows me online, like people know where I am. You say, hey, cool. Like I'm in, you know, I'm in Miami. Here's some stuff going on in Miami. Cool. I'm in Italy. Here's what I'm doing. Hey, I'm in Nigeria this week. Let me show you guys what I'm doing. Let me not just... And here's another thing that's interesting is, especially as um, as a musician or as someone who does any type of like public performance or speeches or anything is more people will watch and listen online than are in the room. Unless you're like at some gigantic festival with like tens of thousands of people. Most of the time, you know, I might do a, I might do a talk. I might give a speech and there's 200 people in the room and then I post that speech online and 20,000 people watch it. Hmm. Right. And a lot of times people don't even think like that. So the, the bigger audience, I mean, just the other week I was on, um, I was on, um, you know, I, I did GB news and I was also on Piers Morgan show. I don't know how many people tuned in live on TV, but I know that that interview I did with Piers Morgan over a million people have watched online in the past two weeks. So, you know, and those people are not just in the UK, they're all over the entire world because we have we have YouTube, we have Twitter video, we have Facebook video, we have Rumble, we have all these things now. So it's like you can do something on a smaller scale and then you can just share it with a much wider audience all over the globe. Um, and, th and sometimes it can be really funny. I mean, I've, I've posted stuff that's just, you know, I've posted videos of me doing a set of pull-ups and it gets a quarter of a million views, right? Like oh, you're, you're deadlift. <laughs> you're deadlift. The deadlift millions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like that's just me training in a gym, like no one's even paying attention. And then you post it online and you do some interesting commentary or you, you share right. some advice or you have something that's funny about it or whatever. And oftentimes it's, th it's those very sort of mundane, mundane things that you can you can go viral with. Um, I, I do help a lot of people grow their social media accounts. And something I tell people is, um, you know, you don't always have to create. You can document, right? Document when you can't create. So when you're trying to be creative all the time, it's difficult. You're thinking, oh, I need to like come up with the perfect hook and headline and punchline or the perfect photo or video or whatever. I'm like, you could just show people what you're doing. Just 
you know, you don't want to be doing 24 seven. You don't want to be the annoying guy who's like vlogging their entire life. That's just weird. But you can just be like, hey, okay, I'm doing a whole one hour workout. I'm going to just film 30 seconds of this one set and I'm going to share that. And again, if you're, if you're good at the thing, if you can, you know, I've posted a video of me, you know, knocking out like, you know, 25 or 27 pull-ups in a row or whatever. And people are like, oh, wow. You know, number one, uh, I, you know, they're learning the right technique. Number two, they find it like, oh, wow, that's inspiring, right? Like, oh, man, I want to be able to do 25 pull-ups. Like, you know, they, I, I want to learn this. And, and so it, it can be, again, it's just, it's, to me, it's mundane. But to someone else, it's inspiring. Um, just like I may see, there's a lot of things I don't know how to do. Right. I don't, I, there's most things I don't know how to do. So if I just see someone, I don't know, do, doing a Rubik's cube in like 10 seconds and I'm like, whoa, like to them, that might be like, yeah, they can do that all day long. But to other people, it's like, whoa, that's like amazing. Can you t- teach me how to do that? That person could write a book on how to, right. how to solve a Rubik's cube in 10, in 10 seconds. And they could probably sell a couple thousand copies if they marketed it well, you know? Um, so that's just the way of like kind of seeing all these opportunities, man. Okay. I mean, let me ask you, let me stay on topic with this. And then I have something else to ask you. Okay. (laughs) The switch interview. Let's go. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So on topic with this, um, there, there's, there's, I've been following you for quite some time. Uh, I follow like 14 people on Twitter. Four of them are my best friends. You're 10% of the rest. Right. Um, so I, I've seen your journey for quite some time, at least through Twitter, right? A lot of people, I'm sure, as you're gaining popularity, as the days go on, people are just entering now. So they're just seeing you now. So mm-hmm. they're perhaps taking for granted that this is and was and always was, and there was never really an entry point, right? You, you, yep. Where, where you kind of just catch people where they, where they are and forget that they started somewhere. So you've given a lot of like insight as to how to just kind of get started. But like, if you were to give advice to, to like a one sentence, like snapshot advice with regards to growing social media or launching or just starting social media, you know, they look at you and that seems unattainable. Like, mm-hmm. or, or it's like, he's always been that way. He never first started, right? Like there was never yeah. a first tweet. Like <laughs> talk, to, talk to that person about like, like what would be like your one snapshot advice for, you know, your first tweet? Yeah. Well, let me, let me do more than one sentence. I mean, the first oh, thing, the first show. thing is it's your show. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell people often, um, you know, everyone starts at zero, um, on the social media, you very literally start at zero. You start with zero followers, zero subscribers, zero everything. Um, and I also like to remind people that at the beginning of 2019, which is 10 years into my Twitter journey, I had 17,000 followers. It took me 10 years to get to 17,000 followers. And then in the last four years, that's gone to, you know, over 1.1 million just on Twitter alone. So it's not a, it's not a linear path. But in terms of just getting started, um, you know, first of all, yeah, you know, connect with, it's a social network. So rather than just getting on there and trying to like market straight away, you know, just be social, connect with those people who you find interesting, inspiring, anyone you find interesting, inspiring, you know, follow them, reply to their stuff, share comments, be insightful, add value to the, to those different communities. And then in terms of your, your own content, I'm going to, I'm going to give away actually a 
for every for everyone with the pleasure of listening to this, I'll I'll, I'll give away a massive a massive quote unquote secret that I normally I normally reserve for paying clients. <laughs> but um, it, it it's gonna sound it's gonna sound really obvious once I say it. But you want to think about why people are on the platform. And there's only two reasons outside of marketers. There's only two reasons that anyone is even on any social media platform. Number one is to learn something. And number two is to be entertained. That's it. This goes beyond social media. Every time you turn on your TV, every time you sit down to watch a movie or documentary, you pick up a book, you listen to a podcast, you are either looking to be entertained or to learn something or a combination. Otherwise, there's no other reason to tune into any type of media. It doesn't matter if it's the news, if it's a TV show, if it's Twitter, if it's Instagram, if it's YouTube, you want to learn something or you want to be entertained. So from the perspective of a creator, um, the term content creator is kind of jarring, but let's use it because people know what it means. When you are creating content, you want to run it through that filter. Is this informative and or entertaining? If the answer is no, why are you, why, why are you posting it, right? Um, that's all yeah, that's it is. Powerful, if you, the, the, the best, the best 1% of accounts, the best 10% of accounts on any platform, there are people who are consistently informative and or entertaining. If you can do both, that's even better, but you can just do one. You can just be super informative and, or you can just be super entertaining and you will build a following over time because that's why people are there. So that's really the sort of magic bullet. Just run stuff through that filter and think, okay, what can I do to be one or both of these things? And that's how you genuinely add value to people's timelines and they're going to want to follow you and they're going to want to share your stuff. And over the course of time, they're going to want to support you. Man, that's, that is powerful. That is a, that is the tip of tips, right? Of all, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people, people, you, you, people are there for what you can bring to them, not yeah. necessarily just what you're trying to do for yourself. Exactly. Right. You know, so if I just if I just posted a, you know, a photo of a sandwich with no caption, is that informative? No. Is it entertaining? No. Um, I could post that same photo with a sandwich and I could tell a joke or I could share an experience about the sandwich or I could tell you how to make the sandwich or something like that. So even the same sort of core content can vary a lot. If I just post a video of me doing uh, a set of push ups. It's like, okay, the guy's doing push-ups. If I explain, okay, you know, three tips to improve your push-up technique. Uh, here's how I learned to do 50 push-ups in a row. Um, are you trying to improve your push-ups? Here's a thing you can do. Or I could post something that's funny, right? I could post something. I mean, look, the t-shirt I'm wearing right now, I'm wearing my, my fully jacksonated t-shirt. I could say, hey, I just did my push-ups for today to protect the community. Make sure you go out and do your push-ups and protect your community. You know, hashtag get jacksonated. And that'll make people laugh because people know, you know, I've created a sort of, I have a lot of in-jokes with my own audience, right? Which right. is something you can also do as you grow, right? You sort of share your personality. You share your sense of humor. You know, most people, if they see hashtag fully jacksonated, they're like, what does that even mean? But if someone who knows, if someone follows me or knows who I am, they're like, oh, yeah, that's like Zuby's play on the right. whole, like, right? <laughs> all the stuff that happened in the past years, you yes. know, get yourself in the gym, all that. So, or even just the joke about me being a woman, you know, that's like an in-joke. Anyone who's outside my following or has never heard of me and it, who hears me referred to as like, you know, the strongest woman in the UK, or the, yeah. it, it lands flat for them. They're just like, what are you guys even talking about? But for anyone who knows, and that's that joke goes back over four years ago now. Yeah. But people will like to this day, you'll see in my comments whenever it's relevant, people will like, you know, kind of reference that. And 
it's a great way to even kind of, this is going a bit deeper on strategy, but these are ways people can like build like a deeper connection with their audience. And also it's just, it's just fun. Like I, I, I honestly just like have fun on social media. Um, there's some quote unquote strategy to it, but a lot of it is me just being myself and enjoying myself, sharing my personality, sharing my sense of humor. Some people, some people don't like it. You know, some people get mad at it, whatever that's going to happen. Yeah, some people. But, <laughs> but ultimately it, either way, you know, it cultivates the people who yeah. are, are fantastic, right. man. Yeah. I love the stuff you put out. I love the content. Um, I have, I, I have two more questions for you. Okay, man, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, let's go. I'm, and it's and it's and it's uh, basically it's it's at your. I'm not asking questions from like prior to this conversation. It's literally from this conversation, and it's making me think like, oh man, I would really be curious about this. So, one with regards to training. Here's a here's a little bit of a lighter question. Um, with regards to training, I have right now a, a torn wrist ligament and a torn rotator cuff, and I got it from deadlifting. Um, you know, again, congratulations on your deadlift. Uh, Thank you. Thing you that you referenced earlier. <laughs> um, I got it from deadlifting because I'm old and I was in CrossFit and I was trying to go against a 20 year old and I'm still strong. So I still, you know, I did what I did, but it ripped my ligament and it ripped my, my rotator cuff. Um, I had the baby, as I mentioned, is six to eight weeks out. I'm out of shape. I'm, uh, you know, my body fat is up. I'm in a place that I would never really was. So can you talk to me in, in whichever way that, that you can about training through injuries and not letting the injury just sideline me where it's super easy for me to be like, I can't do anything with my arm. Uh, give me some cheese doodles. Right. Yeah. I, I think that when you have an injury that's debilitating and that's limiting your training and movements in general, I think two things that are really important to do are to tighten up your diet and also to um, to walk more like those. Those are actually for me, just like in terms of very practical advice. Those are big ones. If someone's got an injury, if they're recovering from a surgery, if they're whatever, because what's interesting is that people might think that you are going to eat, you know, be be prone to eat better when you're not or eat less when you're not training. But actually, it can kind of be the opposite because there's the sort of boredom factor. And if someone's not exercising, I, I find that when I'm training regularly, which is most of the time, it encourages me to eat better and I pay more attention to my diet and it sort of regulates my appetite better. But if for whatever reason um, I'm having like a week where I can't get to a gym or I'm just sitting around because I'm you know, debilitated in some way or whatever, then it actually encourages the junk food. So I think the, the core things are to kind of to keep the body weight and body fat under control. Um, you know, if you've got an injury, you don't want to be focusing on, all right, let's try to get right back in and build up that muscle. It's like, just, you know, focus on maintaining what you've got and not piling on the pounds. So I think walking is a big one, 10,000 plus steps a day, seven, seven, you know, walking several miles a day, and then just being extra conscious of the amount that you're eating and what you're eating, because you might not be expending as much energy as you usually are if you're not training intensely. And then in terms of the actual lifting itself. I don't know the details of the of the injuries, but you know, just injuries take time. You know, it, it's annoying. It can it can take months months for even pretty basic injuries to heal. Um, but just doing what you can without aggravating it. I think you know, if you aggravate it, it's going to just take longer to heal in the long run, or it, you know, or you might prevent it from healing ever. Right. So yeah, those are my two big ones: uh, tighten up the diet and you know, do do yeah, walking just low low, low impact no. Exercise that's not going to cause any cause any damage. Um, 
and 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 also depending on where you are particularly in some uh in some parts of the u.s like somewhere like florida right it can be very hot it can be very humid depending on what city you're in um one downside of the usa is a lot of cities are not very walkable so actually it's even more important to like consciously go for walks because i find that even when i'm in the u.s depending on where i am um unlike cities in europe where i'm just you end up just walking a lot of miles just day to day um you can end up kind of sitting on your butt all day without really noticing and you you know i've I've got like a fitbit i I look at it it's you know 6 p.m and i've done 3,000 steps you know normally i do 10,000 before even midday Mm. and it's like okay like that's uh i need to get moving yeah oh that's smart that's that's awesome and you're spot on i mean that's exactly the feeling like when you're debilitated or or restricted in some way i'm just like well i can't go to the gym let's get cheeseburgers you know like it's like it, it, it you're 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 um completely spot on with that. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to avoid another surgery. I've had multiple surgeries and I'm looking at doing a PRP treatment for this to try to do something that maybe can avoid the surgery and hopefully heal. But with the baby coming, I'm like, I don't want to be fat when the baby comes, uh, you know, or like, and I also don't want to have a, a, an arm that I can't pick the baby up with, you know, either one. Um, all right. So my, my other question, thank you for that. And I will get to walk in for sure. Cool. So my other question, and 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 I've actually this is the thing that I've actually leaned on you quite often for um, in some of my interpersonal conversations with people, and not necessarily getting into the polit- political spectrum, but with regards to um, you, you put a tweet out about UAE just I, I guess was, I don't know if it was yesterday or a couple of days ago, and I showed it directly to my wife, and I was like, this is what I'm talking to you about. This is what I'm trying to tell you. We, we, I feel like, are very limited and biased um, based on, of course, what our own experiences are or what we've been taught or what we've been trained. Or, you know, in some cases, you can go so far as uh, manipulated in, in some cases. And with regards to the topic of travel, since we've mentioned it a few different times, um, my eyes were completely opened, as I mentioned earlier, when I started traveling when I started getting exposure to other people in other regions, in other countries, even in other neighborhoods, honestly, I mean, you know, you're in New York, we're packed in like this and just getting to another neighborhood is eye opening. So I know that you're a big proponent of that. And um, she's definitely going to listen to this. So, (laughs) you know, she was, she was like, well, I don't know, because in, in, and you don't even have to talk specifically about Middle Eastern countries or this country versus that country, but in a general perspective, um, would you mind like elaborating on your take as to our own like inherent, <clears throat> excuse me, inherent biases based on our own uh, experiences and what what we could attain by opening our eyes a little bit and exploring a little bit more? Yeah, sure. Well, OK, let me frame it this way. You know, there's depending on the number, you know, there's about 195 countries in the world and thousands upon thousands of different towns, cities, villages and settlements and we are all by definition you know born in born in one place right we're, we're born wherever we are born if you're born in afghanistan that's what you're surrounded by and that's your country and that's you know what you know by default if you're born in qatar that's what you're surrounded by if you're born in china you're born in california you're born in london where wherever you are whatever country whatever city that is your that's your default right um if you're born and raised in north carolina that's your that's your default. That's the, your, your point of reference for everything. 
And by definition, that is going to be is going to be limited, right? It's going to be limited because we all assume that you know it's just it's kind of like a default setting. It's like your your factory settings. Okay, this is this is the norm, the rules, the laws, the customs, the way people look, the way people dress, the accent, the way people behave, the language itself, right? Like you're just born like you don't think about. You know, it's like, yeah, you speak English, like you don't, but you don't like think about it. It's just like, okay, yeah, of course, right? If you had been born in France, like, okay, you know, tout port français, right? You, you're, yeah. you speak, you speak a different language, right? Like, it's just, it's just, we have like these sort of factory settings, and when you, of course, meeting other people and reading about different places and watching, like that, that helps to form more of a global picture. But there's, as you said yourself, right, from your own experiences, there's just no substitute from actually being in the place, right? Um, I can read about, you're based in uh, St. Pete, right? Yeah. Okay, so closest I've been is Tampa. I haven't been to St. Pete, right? But, you know, if I had never, I could read about St. Pete and I can uh, read about Florida or even the United States as a whole and I can get a picture, okay, this is what the climate is like, this is what... You can you can even go on Google Images now and search and see what see what places look like or whatever. But you're not going to know what it's like until unless you go there, right? You'll have an idea, and oftentimes you'll find that the idea you have, I think every you, you're always going to have misconceptions about certain places until you actually go there and experience them. Um, I tweeted just yesterday. I mean, I know people from the UK and other parts of the world who are literally afraid to go to the USA. Because they think it's so dangerous, it's so racist, the black and white people are fighting each other, the cops are just running around like murdering people, they're having shootouts with AR-15s every day, you know, like, it, like there's people who think that the USA is just like this, like as a whole, right, not even pockets, just the whole country is this super chaotic, super dangerous place, like people are racist, people are angry, people are fighting each other all the time, you know, all this is happening. Um, I've met Americans who are afraid to go to the UK. Because they think they're going to get stabbed or they think they're going to be a victim of an, of an acid attack or there's going to be like some terrorist. And I'm just like, you know, so I, I think we also as human beings, we have a negativity bias because we're, we're threat sensitive. And obviously with the way both the media and social media work, bad stuff gets highlighted, right? Bad stuff gets all the energy, right? If there is a school shooting that happens in the UK, sorry, it happens in the US, what's going to be the, you know, like it's it's a massive story and and it's also the thing is, you know, there's truth to all these things, right? So it's like, you know, do do these things happen? Yeah, they they do happen, right? In any country, right? There is bad stuff that does happen. In any city, there is bad stuff. But if you think like that's the norm, because 99.9% .9 of stuff doesn't make the news. It doesn't go on social media, right? It's not, oh, today, today was a sunny day in Chicago and everybody got on fine. Like, that's not news. That's the norm. That's the norm, but it's not. It's not news. Oh, you know, like not, here, today's news report is not nothing of interest happened in St. Pete, right? right. People, or, people. Or someone did something really nice for a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It happens <laughs> yeah. all the time. Exactly. You know, neighbors helped each other out, regardless right. of their you know ethnic origin or exactly. you know their whether they're Democrats or Republicans or whatever. <laughs> like you know, and to me, I'm like, yo, that's actually what America is mostly like. Is there the chaos? Yes. Is are there? Yes, it does exist, but once you experience it, you see, okay, this is very different, right? So, you know, with, with a country like I grew up, of course, in Saudi Arabia, you know, the tweet you referenced, that's talking about the Middle East and whatever. And, you know, people in the West, whether you're in the US or you're in Canada, you like, most people have never been to that region or to those countries. 
and you see certain things that happen in the media and you know some of them are some of it is straight up propaganda some of it is like you know it's, it's truthful or like okay that incident did happen and that's a problem um but there's such a biased there's such a bias and a, and a prejudice that that can occur especially when you're looking at these other other places and then it's like I mean, you'll see testimonials from people like even when I tweeted that and, you know, people who had been to the region or spent time there or worked there, you're seeing people say, oh, yeah, like I had this belief about this place. And then I actually I went there and actually like it was, you know, I, some people are like, yeah, my whole family ended up moving over there or whatever, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's it's not what it's not what people think. But I just think that, you know, I, I, I've said this before, and I think that the people the people who least want to travel are the ones who need it the most. Right. Like the people who have that greatest aversion who are just like, no, I want to live and die in the USA. I never I'm, I have no interest in leaving the country. Whatever. I'm like, I'm like, that's why you need to travel. That's why you need to go to a couple other places, because it's not even like to escape, escape your country or something. Right. Per se. It's, it's just like even to have a proper perspective and appreciation of both the pros and the cons of your nation or your city. I think you have to get out of it because otherwise you don't you don't have a reference point. Like you, you literally do not have a reference point. If you've just got this one point, um, you know, you've, you've been to, you know, over a dozen different countries. So even when you look at the USA, you can analyze it, its pros and its cons more fairly and more critically. You can say, actually, you know, like these, these are some things that we have some problems with, which maybe we could learn this and this and this from these other countries, or we could do these things better. But also these are the things that we are genuinely like doing really, really well at, um, and you know that based on real experience. And then also just in terms of being able to empathize with people, right? And like there are different countries and cultures and ways of doing things and traditions and whatever. And it can seem very strange and foreign. Um, you know, I've never, I've never been to China. I've never been to Japan, right? So like I, ha I have an idea about these places. But, you know, and I've met people from there and I know, okay, there's a certain way J Japanese people do certain things. And there's a way they seem to do things in China or whatever. Maybe I've tried their food. But unless I go until I go to Japan, I'm not going to have like a good, real understanding and, and spend some time there and inter interact with locals and kind of, you know, not just stay in a resort and eat McDonald's, but like absorb myself into it a little. Then that's when I'll be able to, you know, understand. And so that's a I could, this is this is a whole podcast in itself. But I think right, those are right. some of the primary reasons why um why people, you know should travel and you don't need to go to the entire world, you know, like, but if you've never left your own country, wherever you're from, even just going to, you know, a couple other places and it doesn't even, again, it could, it could be for a relatively short period of time. You don't need to go spend tons of money or anything. Um, it'll be, it'll benefit you. It'll benefit you in a way that's hard for me to describe just in words. Absolutely. So like my wife specifically has traveled some, but she mm -hmm. does have that, you know, that, fear of certain other regions or certain other places because of the news and all these things that you said, just as people are afraid um, with within the state or, you know, to come to the States. And I've been trying to think of like, like the perfect analogy to describe it, to, to kind of break that threshold. Like you mentioned, you know, it's some, something like there's no light without darkness, right? Like that kind of thing. So you, you, you know, but I, ha I just personally, I've been, I haven't been able to nail down that like concise little analogy. I mean, it's just like when you're teaching your kids to try eggs or something. I don't know. Like I'm just trying to find that perfect thing. Yeah. I, I think it's also good to just remember, look, most people are good. Most people are all around the world. Most people are decent or at least striving to be right. So I think it's important as human beings not to let like the worst of the worst sort of define humanity 
or define a nation, right? The worst things that have ever happened in the USA or the worst things the US government has ever per, uh, perpetrated is not representative of the average American or the USA as a whole. Very far from it. Like it's not, it's not even close, right? And people recognize this with their own country, right? I don't think Americans would like to be judged based on the actions of the government. Right. <laughs> right? Like I, I really, right. right? Regardless of, you, you could take that snapshot at any point. I don't think like people would right. consider that very fair or accurate. Um, right. So, you know, people might have issues with, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, but is, do we think the CCP or, you know, Putin in Russia, is that, is that representative of like the average Chinese person or the average Russian person, even, even in terms of their beliefs? Like, I, I really right. don't think it is. Right. It's, it's just not, um, you know, government does, government does government stuff. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the, oftentimes it's the people who are most opposed to it. Sometimes it's actually the opposite of what the people you know, generally represent. So man, there's, there's a lot we can talk about there, Brian. I actually, I actually have another, I actually have another podcast. I need to record so so, much time and I'm like, no doubt. "Ah." So I'm going to, I'm going to have to close this one out, but where can people find and follow you online? Yeah. So my website is the It's T H E B R I A N O R R dot com and all of my social media is at the brian or so i'm i'm getting very active on twitter uh instagram a little bit facebook a little bit but it's you, whatever your platform is it's um the brian or awesome brian thanks for coming on the podcast man really appreciate it and uh right. we will talk soon yeah this is incredible thank you so much